From the K-Rob Collection, this is Audio Antiques, featuring programs from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson. The Great Depression lasted from 1929 to 1941, which was much of radio's golden age. After the Wall Street crash of October 1929, the United States was hit by a decade of high unemployment, poverty, low profits, and deflation. In 1931, as the nation's unemployment rate surpassed 15%, President Herbert Hoover gave an address on NBC Radio announcing his stimulus plan, which called for strengthening businesses such as banks and railroads, but included no unemployment benefits. My fellow citizens, this broadcast tonight marks the beginning of the mobilization of the whole nation for a great undertaking to provide security for those of our citizens and their families who, through no fault of their own, face unemployment and privation during the coming winter. As an important part of our plans for national unity of action in this emergency, I have created a great national organization under the leadership of Mr. Walter Gifford to cooperate with the governors, the state, and the local agencies, and with the many national organizations of business of labor and of welfare with the churches and our, our fraternal and patriotic societies so that the countless streams of human helpfulness which have been the mainstay of our country in all emergencies may be directed wisely and effectively. Over a thousand towns and cities have been well organized experienced unemployment relief committees, community chests, or other agencies for efficient administration of this relief. The amounts sought by the committee in your town or city are in part to provide work, for it is through work that we wish to give help in keeping with the dignity of American manhood and womanhood. But much of their funds are necessary to provide direct relief to those families where circumstances and ill fortune can only be met by direct assistance. Included in many community appeals are the sums necessary to the vital measures of health and character building, the maintenance of which are never more necessary than in these times. The federal government is taking its part in the aid to unemployment through the advancement and enlargement of public works in all parts of the nation. Through these works, it is today providing a livelihood for near 700,000 families. Measures have been adopted which will assure normal credits and thus stimulate employment in industry and commerce and in agriculture. The employers in national industries have spread work amongst their employees so that the maximum number may participate in the wages which are available. Our states, our counties, our municipalities, through the expansion of their public works, and through tax-supported relief activities, are doing their full part. Similar organization and generous support were provided during the past winter in localities where it was necessary. Under the leadership of Colonel Wood, we succeeded in the task of that time. We demonstrated that it could be done. 
But in many localities, our need will be greater this winter than a year ago. While many are affected by the Depression, the number who are threatened with privation is but a minor percentage of our whole people. The task is not beyond the ability of these thousands of community organizations to solve. Each local organization, from its experience last winter and summer, has formulated careful plans and made estimates completely to meet the need of that community. ...will meet the needs of the nation as a whole. The possible misery of helpless people gives me more concern than any other trouble that this depression has brought upon us. It is with these convictions in mind that I have the responsibility of opening this nationwide appeal to citizens in each community that they provide the funds with which, community by community, this task shall be met. This is a time and this is an occasion when we must arouse the idealism, the spirit, the determination, the unity of action, from which there can be no failure in this primary obligation of every man to his neighbor and of a nation to its citizens, that none who deserve shall suffer. I would that I possess the art of words to fix the real issue with which the troubled world is faced in the mind and heart of every American man and woman. Part of our national suffering today is the failure to observe primary yet inexorable laws of human relationship. Modern society cannot survive with the defense of King, am I my brother's keeper? By 1933, America's poverty rate rose to over 60%. In Cleveland, Ohio, the unemployment index reached 50%. In Toledo, Ohio, it topped out at 80%. To counter the doom and gloom, the radio industry filled the airwaves with happy, optimistic programs. But there were a few shows that attempted to reflect reality. We're going to hear four of them. A Matter of Life and Death from the Columbia Workshop in 1937, Kiss and Jail from Red Book Dramas in 1932, Behold the Man from the Columbia Workshop in 1938, and A Man's Castle from Lux Radio Theater in 1939. Bring your finances into the 21st century with a My Checking account at Nationwide Bank, powered by Axos. My Checking is designed so you can bank on your terms. This account offers unlimited domestic ATM fee reimbursements, no monthly maintenance fees, and no minimum balance requirements. Nationwide Bank offers Direct Deposit Express, so you can receive your paycheck up to two days earlier. Plus, there's a free app so you can bank on your phone no matter where you are. Open a new My Checking account at krobcollection.com and receive $20.00. If you are a new Nationwide or Axos Bank customer and deposit $500 into your account within 90 days, Nationwide is on your side with a $20 gift for opening a free My Checking account powered by Axos. Get full details at krobcollection.com.
Columbia Workshop, under the direction of Irving Reese, presents A Matter of Life and Death by Leopold Atlas, based in part on Paul de Creek's Why Keep Them Alive. Mr. Atlas, author of Wednesday's Child and the recent Theatre Guild production, But for the Grace of God, is considered one of America's outstanding playwrights. The workshop is pleased to offer his first original radio play, A Matter of Life and Death by Leopold Atlas. traffic torsions and thunder of a great city stands the world-renowned Carter Institute for Medical Research. Sublimely impervious and scientifically immaculate, it stares aloofly above the squat tenements surrounding it into the distant and abstract sky. However, today, within one of its usually white and plastic laboratories... Look at him go! Hold him, David! Hold him! Don't let him get away! Boys, Frisky, look at that monkey go! Hold him, hold him, hold him! Look out the door! You're hurting him. He's crying. Yeah, with joy at being alive again. Look at him. Isn't he cute? Doctor, it worked. That serum worked. Yeah, yeah, this proves it. This opens new vistas, new channels. Wait until Sam Allen hears this. It was mainly his idea, injecting the serum. Yeah. He ought to be here soon. He phoned he'd be in by three. If he knew this was going to happen, he'd never have gone away on that three-day holiday. Reached away, you old monk. You're among the living again. Yeah, it's a very good thing Sam went away. He needed it. He was plenty worn out. You're telling me, Doctor. There were times when I wondered whether I ought not give him the shot in the arm instead of the monkey. It was tough work. And brilliant work. A good head Sam has. And you too, Danny. Thanks. Give him a lump of sugar, Miss Crawford. He deserves it. <laughs> I bet that's Sam now. Yeah? What is Right in, right in. Send him in. No announcement for... Sam, Sam, my boy, how are you? Hello, Dr. Swanley. Yeah, hello, Sam. Hello. Dan. Hello, Sam. Did you ever see a dead monkey eat, Sam? Look, when did he come to, Dan? About ten minutes ago. That's splendid. Yeah. Now you boys will eat, too. Full of stuffings. Banquets, dinners, social tea. Wait till that politician in the front office, Dr. Carter, that the papers give this out. <laughs> but now, first, you must begin to work. Instead of medals, ask for laboratories. Instead of dinners, ask for materials. Instead of acclaim, ask for quiet and peace to do your work. Ivory towers, you mean, don't you? Even quieter if possible. Yeah, now you begin to check and recheck on your laboratory experiments. Go over them and... I'm afraid that won't be possible, Dr. Foynley. So why not? Everything is ready to show laboratory. I'm through with laboratories for a while, Dr. Foynley. That's what I came here to tell you. I'm resigning. Resigning? What are you saying? I'm leaving the Carter Institute did, today. Did, did you have some trouble? Is something wrong here? No, here everything is perfect. Too perfect. In fact, this institute is an ivory tower of perfection. We make our experiments, formulate our serums, write our reports, publish them, and then return to our monk cells for new experiments. Oh. What is there more for a scientist to ask, Sam? A world more, I've just discovered. A world outside for whom we here freely make our discoveries and serums, but who never obtain them because these discoveries are kept from them. I, I don't understand. I'm just beginning to. Sam, what has come over you? What are you? 
Oh, Danny Crawford, to take the monkey back to the cage, will you? Sure, sure. sure. Now, Sam, Sam, what is disturbing you? What are you speaking? Resign, resign. You have the most brilliant career ahead of you here. You have made a big discovery, my boy. Yes, Dr. Freundlich, I have made a big discovery. And that's why I'm resigning. I stumbled around in the dark for years and regained my vision in three days. I made a discovery three days ago. It had nothing to do with monkeys and ivory towers. It had to do with life. up, darling. It's almost two in the morning. Let's get something of this Christmas Eve in together. I'll be with you in just a minute, dear. I want to check up on Murgatroyd, the monk. Yeah, how are you, monkey? <laughs> are you two still here? Hello, Danny. Go on, get out of here. I'll take care of Murgy. Okay, Danny. Imagine, Danny. I'm going to have him to myself for three whole days. The pleasure's all yours. I've had enough of them. <laughs> Come on now, you two. Get out before I throw you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, you don't need to push us, Danny. We're going gladly. See you in three days. Okay, Dan. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Don't be lonely. Not with Marcus right around. Sweet of Danny to hold the fort while you're away. Yeah, he's a swell guy. Gosh, I hope that monk reacts to that serum. Now, darling, please forget that monk. You're starting your vacation. Oh, it's good to get a breath of cold, fresh air again. Isn't it, though? Oh, darling, think of it. We're going to have three whole days together. We're free. Yeah. For a little while, anyhow, darling. For an eternity. Three whole days. Listen. They're singing Christmas carols in that house. Yeah. The grand old song. The loveliest in all the world. I think this is the loveliest night of all the year. And you're the loveliest... Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, lady. That's my speech to you. Then why aren't you saying it, you simple scientist? I am. With my eyes. Say it with your lips. I want to hear it. All right. There. Did you hear it? Perfectly. A little off-key, though. Would you mind trying it again? Delighted. How's that? Much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a cab. Uh, taxi! Oh, no, Sam. No. You have to get into a taxi to make love to me. <laughs> Just an old college habit, darling. <laughs> of course not. But you're tired, and it's cold, and, and you're shivering. You know, Sam, if you stayed away from your microbes for a little while and devoted more time to me, you'd discover that when you hold a woman in your arms and she shivers, it's not always because she's cold. That's a scientific fact. I'll make a note of it, Professor. Cab, <laughs> sir? Uh, no, sorry, we've changed our mind. Okay. Mm, I couldn't think of driving home on a night like this with the snow falling so softly and silently. The wind. Listen. sound footsteps make on the fallen snow, don't you? You're gloriously happy tonight, darling, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You seem to be practically in love with everything. 
everything. Why? Because you're not the only one who's going to make his little contribution to humanity, as Dr. Freundly could put it. Marion! Mm-hmm. Sweetheart. Oh, dearest, this is the most glorious of all possible worlds. Even those people in the car are happy for me. Everyone's happy tonight. Oh, they're driving too fast, Sam. They must be drunk. Sam, they're going to hit that woman at the corner. Look out, look out! They're going to turn over! No, no, they're all right. They just get it around. Oh. Oh, they're so frightened. What about that woman? Huh? Did they hit her? I don't see her. I don't don't like to... There she is. Where? Coming out of the shadows of that building, see? She seems to be all right. Sam. Huh? Do you recall seeing that woman on the street before the auto passed her? Uh, no, but... Well, that, that black coat isn't quite conducive to... Sam, isn't it strange? Uh, what? A woman walking alone at this time of the night. <laughs> no, she's probably coming home from some Christmas Eve party. But alone. Look how slowly she walks. What's she carrying in her arm? Can you make it out? Uh, no. She carries it as one would carry a child. A child at this time of night? Oh, nonsense. She's very likely taking a package of food home to her kids. So why does she carry it with her arms forward? Like a child? Why does she? Sam, she is hurt. She's staggering. Well, just too much Christmas cheer, I'd say. No, no, Sam, she's hurt. Look, she's leaning against the lamppost at the corner. You can see her now in the light. Mm. Her eyes are closed as if she were in pain. Yeah, but still, I... Darling, let's hurry. Maybe we can help her. Sam, you speak to her. I beg your pardon, ma'am, but uh, my wife and I saw the car almost run you down. Uh, You aren't hurt, are you? Are you in pain? What? Oh, no. No, I'm all right. That car didn't hit you, did it? Maybe it would have been better if it did. Don't say that. Aren't you feeling well? Sam, perhaps that bundle's too heavy for her to carry. No, no, it isn't too heavy. I've borne it a long way in a long time. It isn't too heavy to bear now. Here, you just... No, no, don't touch it. Don't take it away from me. But we're not going to take it away. We only... No, no! Hey, what's going on here? Oh, uh, officer, this poor woman was almost run down by an automobile a moment ago. We saw it and wanted to know if we could be of any assistance. Oh, wait a minute. What have you got there? Kind of late in the night to be carrying bundles around. No, no, don't touch it. Don't take it away from me. It's all I've got. Oh, so you're trying to hide it, are you? Well, come here, my fine girl. Let's see what you've got there. Don't hurt her, officer. Oh, I just want to see what she's got in that bundle, that's all. There have been several robberies around here lately. Oh, I haven't robbed anybody. Stand still now while I unwrap this. You've got it pretty snug, haven't you, eh? What's this? A kid, huh? Oh, what a pretty child. Yes, isn't she? Whose kid is this lady? Mine. You sure you haven't kidnapped her? No! Well, what on earth would you be carrying a sleeping child around for at this time of the night in this kind of weather? She's not sleeping. No. She's dead. Dead? She's been murdered. What's that? What are you murdered? talking about? Murdered? No! Oh, easy, Marion, easy. Now, who did it? Let me look at that kid. Say, this will take looking into. Hey, George, pull over here. Something's up. No, yeah. no, don't take her away from me. Don't take her away from me. No, Better step inside the car now. And I'm afraid you'll have to be coming along, too. All right, officer.
Well, what did you find? False alarm, Lieutenant. That kid wasn't murdered. He wasn't, you say? No. There isn't a mark of violence, strangulation, or poisoning on the kid. Well, that's queer. Matter of fact, she seems to have died a perfectly natural death. Romantic heart. Perfectly natural. Yeah, I don't get this. What about the mother's story? Oh, she's probably demented. Looks undernourished. The shock of her kid's death upset her mind completely. Oh. Well, I'd better tell her. Now, listen, Mother. You listen to me. Your little girl wasn't murdered. You were mistaken, see? She died a perfectly natural death. No. No, she was murdered, I tell you. But the doctor here has just examined her and no, he tells me... No, no! Children don't die a natural death. Children were born to live. Not to die. When they die, they've been murdered. Uh, you'd better take her down to the psychopathic ward, Lieutenant. She's in need of care herself. Right, <laughs> now, you better come along with me, Mother. Children don't die Sam, did you hear what that poor woman cried? Easy, darling, easy. You folks can go now. Sorry to have detained you. Routine, you know. That's all right. Oh, doctor, um, I'm Dr. Allen, bacteriologist over at the Carter Institute. Oh, yes. Glad to know you. Of what exactly did that kid die? Well, I haven't made a complete diagnosis yet, but offhand, I'd say a rheumatic heart. But a rheumatic heart can be checked, can it? If it's caught in time, yes. Well, why wasn't it caught in time? Oh, probably neglected or in proper care. Then this mother's accusation was not insane. What do you mean? Neglect contributory to death is murder, isn't it? I don't quite understand. No. Well, thank you. Come on, Marion. Time we got some sleep. Find out. 
It'll keep preying on my mind until we do. Roberts will know. Who's Roberts? An old schoolmate of mine. Devoted his life to the study of rheumatic heart. Remember having a talk with him a long time ago. Darling, then let's go to Roberts. I want to find out, too, why children die. If there seem to be cures to save them. I want to find out for our baby's sake. Yes. I want him to be born in a world where children don't die shamefully and needlessly if there are cures at hand to save them. I want to know who's to blame for that little girl's death. Roberts will know. Roberts must surely know. We'll go to Yes, I know, Sam. I know this. Nearly one out of every ten kids between ten and fourteen who dies, dies because of rheumatic heartbreak. How horrible. Yes, isn't it? I'm mighty glad you came, Sam. It's high time some of you microbe hunters left your ivory-towered laboratories to find out why kids still die. Especially after you fellows have discovered the serums and vaccines and antitoxins to save them. Have you isolated the heartbreak microbe yet? No. But we've done something almost as good. We know the microbe's most powerful accomplice, without which he can't exist. In other words, if you eradicated the accomplice, the microbe itself would disappear. Correct. <laughs> and scientific, Mrs. Allen. But not so easy. Why not? The name of the accomplice is poverty. Poverty? Yes. And his sidekick, malnutrition. Funny thing about my pet microbe, he's not a snob. Not he. In fact, if anything, he leans the other way. He's a regular democratic fellow. A real American, you might say. A perfect politician. He loves the poor. Loves them to death. But you've found a cure for them, haven't you, Roberts? I seem to recall... Better than that. A preventative. Then why isn't it applied? Well, it's a curious story, Mrs. Allen. When I tell you how simple the preventative is, and how we discovered it... Perhaps you'll understand. For ten years, I'd been hunting for something to destroy that microbe which we couldn't isolate. I was almost ready to throw up the sponge. And then one spring day, my nurse, Miss Farmer, and I made our inspection rounds through one of the worst sections of the slum district, inhabited mainly by Puerto Rican immigrants. I remember a hand organ was playing on the corner. The little girl was dancing That little Montanez girl, Doctor. She dances extremely well, doesn't she? Burning up valuable energy, that's all. Oh, come now, Doctor. It's a lovely April day. Forget the old brouch and let that little girl enjoy herself. Palmer, if it were in my power, I'd let that kid dance all her life long. I wouldn't suffer for worlds, but something else might. Oh, Doctor, I'm beginning to suspect that you've got a bad case of heart trouble on the brain. Now, that's a serious disease, you know. Complications. Ah, Senor Doctor. Oh, hello, Montanez. You watch my little Dolores dance? Yes. She dances very fine, eh? Just like her mother when she's a young girl in Puerto Rico. Good. Baila! Baila, muchachita! With spirit, she dances like the sunny south. Oh, lovely. Maybe when she grows up, she'll be a fine dancer like Joan Crawford, maybe. No, I'm sure she will, Miss Montanez. You think so, Miss Farmer? Of course. Gracias. In this country, the children can become anything. They... Except my Juan. He could... 
Ah, but my Dolores not die like him. She fine, and how you call it, peppy, like, like wine, eh? heartbreak is unknown in the South? Exactly. There's something in the intense sunlight of tropical and semi-tropical countries that prevents heartbreak from getting a foothold. But that would only prevent the disease from starting. How about those who were already stricken? Could it cure them? That's what we were going to find out. There were some people who promised to donate some money to assist my research. With their aid, we sent ten of the worst cases to Puerto Rico. Dolores among them. And what happened? They're exposed to the wind, the rain, the salt air, and most important, the sun. They lived? Yes, they lived. And after six months, the streptococci miraculously disappeared. Even the most seriously threatened of them were healed. Oh, that was splendid, Dr. Roberts. Yep. It was a perfect example of the power of science when armed with money. But what did money have to do with it? Well, after six months, the money so generously contributed ran out. We couldn't raise any more because of the depression. The kids had to return. Within half a year, three of them suffered relapses and died. What a cruel shame. Just a minute, Roberts. I don't get this. The depression didn't alter the temperature of the Caribbean, did it? No. No, that's still nice and warm. And there's no charge for the steadily pleasant climate of the South, is there? Not that I know of. And the strong, healing, hot sun. God knows no one owns that. Absolutely but not. That's free to... Then why can't these kids be kept down where they... I told you you couldn't see the doctor. What? What is it, Miss Farmer? Well, Mrs. Smith here insists on seeing you, hey, Doctor. Excuse me for breaking in this way, Dr. Roberts. But I've got to hurry back to the shop or I'll be fired. Oh, what's troubling you, Smith? The kid, Doc. He's getting oh. worse. Can't we do something? He's just a little fella, you know. And... You're following my instructions about rest and care, aren't you? Yeah, sure. But it ain't doing him any good. Ain't there something else we can do? There must be something, Doc. No, not not at present, Smith. Just keep following those instructions and let's hope the boy will outgrow his condition. Uh, I see. Okay, Doc. Thanks. Excuse me for... All right, Smith. Thanks. All right. So what's wrong with this boy, Robert? Rheumatic heart. But see here, Robert, you've just been telling me about the powers of semi-tropical sunlight. You discovered it yourself. Why didn't you tell this man that that would probably save his kid? Yes. Wouldn't it have been kind of me, Alan, knowing that man, knowing that he makes $12 a week and has three other kids to support? 
Wouldn't it have been kind of me to have told him to take his boy in winter in California or Florida this season? Then merely because this man hasn't the money to take and support his family in the South, his kid must die. Not only his kid, Sam, but there are thousands of others like him. But God knows, Roberts, there's certainly enough steel and concrete in our land of plenty to build health centers in every county and city in America. Yes, and thousands of eager young doctors to attend them. True. But still, the fact remains that they aren't there. Why? Why? What's the reason for this paradox? I don't know, Sam. Don't ask me. I'm just a dumb doctor who happens to have found a treatment for these kids after ten years of tough research. I'm not an economist always yapping about sound finance. But even in sound finance, it's cheaper to cure people than to bury them. Something must be done. Something must be done to stop the murder of our children. What? I don't know. But I must think about it. There must be some way. I must do something about it. discovery I made in the past three days, Dr. Freundlich. A discovery about the lives of children. And that's why the life or death of a monkey leaves me cold. But Sam, someday your discovery of the monkey still may help thousands of lives. Yes, like Robert's discovery. Sam, you are young and patient. No, Doctor. It's no use. I'm resigning. Someday these remedies will be given to everybody indiscriminately. Someday. These things take time. But what about the kids dying today? Dying of diseases whose deadlines have long been passed. This murder must stop, I tell you. Science is a mockery otherwise. Something must be done. Yeah, sure. What good is Robert's discovery doing? Who is it benefiting? Not those who need it. And I've learned that what's true of rheumatic heart is also true of diphtheria, scarlet fever, measles, tuberculosis. But even if you tried to do something, Sam, you'd be one against thousands. They may ignore me, Doctor, but not the cries of their own children. Suppose if right this minute we could rig up one great microphone through which they could hear in their own homes the screams of undernourished babies dying of meningitis, or the coughing of little ones choke-chested with pneumonia, or hearts breaking with rheumatism. And suppose they knew that not one child need suffer so. That science has discovered how to prevent and cure every one of these diseases. Then they'd jump out of their complacency. They'd get up and demand that this mass murder of their children be stopped. Give the people light. And they'll find their own way. I'm going to help them find that light. Columbia Workshop has presented Leopold Atlas's original radio drama, A Matter of Life and Death, based in part on Paul DeCreek's book, Why Keep Them Alive. Mr. Atlas is the author of two well-known stage successes, Wednesday's Child and the recent Theatre Guild production, But for the Grace of God. A Matter of Life and Death was produced under Irving Reese's direction.
The Columbia Workshop is an experimental dramatic laboratory which was established to explore the dimensions of the oral play, to try new techniques in their presentation, to encourage new writers for the medium. Your cooperation and interest helps us considerably in determining the success or failure of these experiments. The workshop welcomes your suggestions, criticisms, and comments on its program. If you have a favorite story which you think would lend itself to unusual dramatization, write to Irving Reese, director of the Columbia Workshop, care of the Columbia Network, New York City. Tune in next week for another workshop presentation. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ladies and gentlemen, we take pleasure in presenting another of the stories especially selected for us by Edwin Balmer, the distinguished editor of Red Book Magazine. Editor Balmer is here to tell you why he selected Kiss and Jail by Arthur Summers Roach for Red Book. Mr. Balmer. Thank you, Mr. Clemenger. Arthur Summers Roach is one of the most vigorous and original of our writers. He lives most vitally in our day, and he is in a position to witness the effects of the Depression among the rich. Some who recently were rich have become penniless, as we all know. Some of these, too old to adjust themselves, have jumped out of windows. And some of the younger ones have done instead, Mr. Roach tells in his story, A Kiss in Jail, which is about to be presented to you. So the Great Depression has got to Bob Raynell at last. Orphaned, the family fortune whisked away. A young man can't sit around and allow his sister, who has found herself an interior decorator's job, to support him. And work was not to be had in New York. Go west, young man. Go west. We find Bob in the observation car of a fast express, Chicago bound. He is watching a bejeweled lady and her overdressed daughter, obviously nouveau riche, flaunting their wealth in the face of the passengers. The dowager mother delights in showing off the butler who's traveling with them. Here is Mrs. Robinson. Jenkins, Jenkins, we're getting off at Ovington, remember. Put those packages on the platform and be very careful of my daughter's hat box. Yes, ma'am. And here is Bob Raynell, the ex-society playboy who doesn't like the looks of that phony butler of Mrs. Robinson's. She's certainly working that butler overtime. It doesn't look like a butler to me anyway. Jenkins, eh? I've seen him somewhere before. And Jenkins, go over to the baggage car and see if our luggage is being taken care of. Yes, ma'am. Why, George, I do recognize that butler. Seems to me he used to hang around that New York speakeasy of Big Abe Conley's. Racketeer of some kind. Hurry along, Jenkins. There'll be an old income soon. There's a man killed there, in the observation car. I saw him get it. Oh, oh, Mark, help me up. Help me up. Can you come here a minute, young man? There you are, madam. You'll be all right now. Just a little shaken up, I expect. You've saved our lives. I certainly wish there was some way I could thank you. You're not hurt? Yes, I'm all right. Did you see our butler? I'm sorry, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Robinson. The Robinsons of Ovington, you know. I'd like to ask you to come home with us. It's not far from here. Our car is on its way here now. 
If only I could find that butler. I'm sorry, Mrs. Robinson. I'm afraid your man's been killed. Jenkins killed? They couldn't get him out in time. Oh, but we only hired him in New York yesterday. Oh, dear. I should have looked into his references more carefully. Now I'll have a lot of trouble in disposing of the body. The railroad will help you take care of that, I'm sure. But we're giving a dinner party tomorrow night. Well, what can I do? How can I find the butler? If, uh, if you'll excuse me, Mrs. Robinson, I mean if there's a place open in your home. You're a butler? On my way to Chicago, hoping I could get a job there. All my, uh, all my things were destroyed in this wreck, but, uh... For whom have you worked? Why, uh, I've been with the Reynolds in New York since I was a boy. Oh, the New York Reynolds? Yes, ma'am. Miss Sally Reynolds is in New York, and you could write to her. Oh, we won't need to write to her. She's spending the weekend with us. Arrives this very afternoon. Well, uh, I must say I'm glad to find a butler. What is your name? Robert, ma'am. Robert, uh... Simpson. All right, Simpson. Will you gather up those suitcases? You can drive out with us, and Anna the maid will see to your getting a uniform. So, you're the new butler they dragged out of the train rack, eh? Lucky, wasn't it? That is lucky for me, not so lucky for that other chap. I suppose I can call you Anna? I only work here. Say, Simpson, where have you bottled before? Lots of places. Where have you made it before? Lots of places. Hey, you're pretty quick on the comeback, Simpson. Oh, I get along. Yeah, you'll have to get along working for the Robinsons, let me tell you. Say, listen, that old lady and her daughter are the crabbiest bunch I ever worked for. The only thing they give the help around here is uniforms. A good break for me. This outfit seems to fit. You do look pretty smooth. But I lost my shirt in that wreck. And look at my shoes. The soles are all burned out from the hot coals I walked on. Wonder where I can buy some new boots around here. Ovington's the nearest. Uh, the Robinsons let you go in the car, maybe, since you saved their lives. But you'll have to step on it. Guests to do from New York. I'll beat it up to Ovington, then, and buy some things. Say, send a telegram for me. Of course. Oh, don't let that booby the chauffeur know you did it. This is, uh, just... Between you and me, huh? Mum's the word. Well, here it is, written out on this envelope. Now, I'll read it to you. You'd read it anyway, so I'll save you the trouble. Thomas Beckwith, Minerva Place, New York City. Lay off. Signed, Anna. I'll take care of it. You see, uh, this, this Beckwith's an old beau of mine, always phoning me long distance, and it burns the madam. So I want him to quit. Here's a half dollar to pay for it. Okay, I'll take it along. Robinson, it's so good to see you again. Oh, lovely to have you come. Did you enjoy the drive? Oh, you know, we had such a terrible experience this morning in the rick. But Vara and I got out of it with scarcely a scratch. Dear me, I'm so anxious for you to decorate our home. Thank you, Mrs. Robinson. I'll be glad to have you. Oh, just leave your bags there. I'll have Simpson take them to your rooms immediately. Simpson? Simpson? You see, he's not quite familiar with our household yet. Simpson? Coming, ma'am. And I feel so fortunate in getting an old servant of yours, Miss Raynal. He was on the train, you see. And, oh, uh, Simpson, Miss Raynal is here. How do you do, Miss Raynal? Why, it's... Why, Simpson... I don't expect you thought you'd see me so soon again, Miss Sally. Why, I... Mrs. Robinson was kind enough to take me on when I told her I was an old servant of yours. Oh, why, of course. Yes, Mrs. Robinson. Simpson was with us for years. 
He was the son of our cook. Oh, it's like old times seeing him again. Thank you, Miss Sally. You may take Miss Ray and those things to her room, Simpson. This way, Miss Sally. Now, Bob Raynal, what in the world are you doing here masquerading in that silly butler's uniform? Easy, sis. Take it quiet. The old dowager may hear you. Well, make it snappy. What's it all about? I thought you were going to Chicago. I was, but the train was wrecked. Mrs. R. and her daughter and the butler were in the same car I was. The butler was killed. I applied for the job. I could have screamed when I saw you. These awful robins. Say, you know, there's something funny going on here. There would be with these people. Mrs. Robinson waves her money like a flag. She just bought the Romanoff pearls, you know. The Romanoff pearls? And she wants her house redecorated so she can give a lot of parties and show them off. Sure as shooting that fake butler was a racketeer. I used to see him down at Big Abe Connolly's speakeasy. And because the butler looked like a racketeer, you took his job when he was killed. Bob Reynolds, you're the maddest of all our mad family. Sally, you've got to give me a hand. There's something fishy backstairs. The maid gave me a phony telegram this morning for some mysterious chap in New York telling him to lay off. But what does it mean? I don't know. Listen, I didn't send that telegram. I want you to do something for me. Is Big Abe Connolly still a friend of yours? Didn't I redecorate his speakeasy for him? Well, call him long distance. Ask him if he knows anything about a man named Beckwith. Lives on Minerva Place. This is exciting. You don't suppose somebody is after the Romanoff pearls? Maybe so. Well, Simpson, I suppose you're glad dinner's over. How'd it go? Not half bad. Only I didn't expect to have to wash these dishes afterwards. Didn't have to give the crockery a bath in my old place. It's almost 11 now, and I wouldn't have finished for an hour yet if you hadn't helped me. Ah, oh, you're oh, lucky to it. get a night off here. Say, I was glad to help. That's white of you. How about a cigarette before you turn in? Thanks. All the other servants have gone to bed. I suppose the madam expects you to stay on duty. Say, Simpson, you don't look like a slave. I should think a guy like you would hate a job like this. Find me a better one in these times. And when it comes to that, Anna, I should think a girl like you could find a better place than a servant's hall. Maybe I will sometime. If you don't marry that pestering beau of yours. Hmm. No danger of that. I suppose you've got a girl? Well, now let me think. No, not that I can remember. Well, then, if you haven't got a girl you're being true to, uh, why not wait a minute and smoke another cigarette with me? If you'll light it for me? And a little kiss on the side? Why, why not? Mm, You are human, aren't you, Simpson? You kiss very well. You're not so bad yourself, Anna. We ought to be entitled to a little fun in this. Oh, there's that guest room buzzer. I'll answer it. Yes, miss? Yes, miss. Right away, miss. That Miss Reynolds Simpson wants you to shake up a cocktail and bring it right away. I know the kind she wants. I'll take it right up. Gee, isn't that the way it always goes? Just when we were getting along so nicely... Oh, um, I'll go along to bed. See you tomorrow, Simpson. Nighty night. 
It's about time you brought that cocktail, Simpson. Where have you been? Where the dickens have you been, Sally? I thought maybe you got Connolly on the wire and found the whole thing was my imagination. I should say not, Bob. I only got back from Ovington 20 minutes ago. You gave him the name I told you? Yes, and Bob, Connolly tried to locate the man in Minerva Place and found he'd already left New York for somewhere. It seems this Beckworth works a lot of funny rackets and... Say, Sally, look. Look out of the window. On the front lawn there. What is it? Looks like a man creeping through those shrubs. By George. You stay here, Sally. I'm going downstairs. There's that shadow again. Somebody's at the window. Uh-huh. Easy does it. Anna, are you there, Anna? It's Beckwith. Open the latch. There. He can get it. Okay, Anna. Don't make a light yet. I can get through it. Oh, 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 take that. Last you let me go. Anna, on the button, oh, mister. Oh, there's oh, another. Got you, oh, you crook. Oh. Got him that time. Because I haven't lost the old punch. Knocked him cold. Who's coming now? Who's in that pantry? What is it? It's Simpson, Anna. Turn on the light. What? What does this mean? Who's that man? Quiet, girl. Just keep your hands out of that apron. Glad to see you're still dressed. What are you trying to fix on me, you... Sure, here's your boyfriend, Anna. I didn't send that telegram, and he came. You... A nice little plant you'd set, didn't you? The Romanoff pearls, eh? You dirty sneak. Naughty girl. You just take it easy and keep your hands up. Got the goods on you this time, Anna. So, you're a dick, eh? I might have known. I suppose you followed poor Salvini on the train up here. Might have known it was an accident that finds you so ready to take his place when he was killed. Help this gangster to his feet, will you? And no tricks. You punk flatfoot. We'll meet again one of these days, Mr. Simpson. Maybe, when you're mating someplace else and I'm buttling someplace else. What? Say, are you letting us go? Scram out of that window with this bird as fast as you can. I kissed you tonight, Anna, and, well, we can't send little girls we've kissed to jail, but we can send them out of the house. So you let the burglars go, Bob. Why? That maid had a trunk full of stolen jewels. I guess she had a lot of stuff, all right. Well, why did you let her go? I I kissed her, Sally. Kissed her? That's it, and it's bad enough to kiss and tell, but you certainly can't kiss in jail. Red Book Magazine gave us special permission to broadcast the amusing story, Kiss and Jail, written by Arthur Somers Roach. Next week at this same time, we take pleasure in announcing that we will present another story in dramatic form from Red Book Magazine. By William N. Robeson presents Eke Homo, Behold the Man, a symphony of reality written and directed by Per Lorenz. Columbia Workshop is proud to present Pear Lorenz, 
directing his first documentary radio play, Ecce Homo, Behold the Man. This brilliant young critic and director whose motion pictures, The Plow That Broke the Plains and The River, have made film history, tonight brings his documentary technique to a new medium, the radio. Based on official reports and on hundreds of case histories collected by government field men, Mr. Lawrence has created a factual drama. The Columbia Workshop presents Ecce Homo, Behold the Man. This is Industrial America. Boston, boots and shoes, fish and wool, Lowell, Wincy, creamers and dyes, silk and paper, sewing machines and motorcycles, Waterbury, Bridgeport, airplanes and ammunition, brass fittings and cotton shirts, submarines and watches, Patterson, Jersey City, paint and varnish, Vaseline and patent medicine. Electric wire and asphalt, leather goods and silk, Philadelphia, Hamden, radios and locomotives, streetcars and carpets, chemicals and furnaces, hosiery and turbines, children's clothes and boilers, Pittsburgh, wheeling, tin plates and fire bricks, air brakes and plumbing fixtures, tube steel and freight cars, anthracite and mine machinery, aluminum and plate glass, drawing instruments and caskets, buffalo, Syracuse, tin cans and roller bearings, wax candles and soda ash. Mince meat and typewriters, washing machines and light bulbs. Cleveland, Youngstown. Nuts and bolts and printing presses. Diesel engines and multigraph machines. Electric batteries and steel forging. Akron, Toledo. Airplane motors and rubber tires. Beer bottles and spark plugs. Steel hooks and microphones, spray guns and paper bags. This is industrial America. Detroit, Pontiac. Automobiles and trailers, trucks and buses, taxicabs and coaches, crop forgings and steel bushings, carburetors and paints, coal stokers and tear gas bombs, Chicago, Gary, bacon and beef and telephones, furniture and pipe organs, doors and caches and bridge beams, marine motors and cotton gloves, transmission chains and saws, Indianapolis, South Bend, threshing machines and whistles, tractors and ball bearings, fruit jars and land lawnmowers, outboard motors and ornamental fences, Kansas City, St. Louis, Grain elevators and pipelines, Pullman cars and beer, plows and drugs and breakfast food, Minneapolis, St. Paul, silos and skis, macaroni, mac mattresses and cattle scales. This is industrial America, the power and glory of the richest country in the world, a factory of seven million men and women. Worker number 7785, worker number 7786, worker number 7787, worker number 7788, worker number 7789, worker number 7790. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the straight line. In two minutes before your very eyes, you will see 30,000 different pieces of material assembled into one machine. Two weeks ago, these parts were still in the mines of Pennsylvania and West Virginia. The oil fields of Texas and Oklahoma and the copper shafts of Montana. The Iron Mountains of Minnesota. They have come from the strip mills of Ohio, from the textile mills of the South. Tested and checked, processed and perfected in plants as intricate as this. Along these two steel tracks, half a mile long, you will see steel, iron, brass, tin, lead, zinc, aluminum, chromium, and nickel. You will see rubber, mica, glass, cotton, mohair, 
all fit into place, magically assembled into one tested perfect piece of machinery, the American automobile. Two days ago, these parts were moving through a hundred factories. On a hundred straight lines, they received the skill of thousands of men and women in order that they might reach this assembly plant in a state of perfection. You will see a new car drive off the line every half a minute. Here, through the vigilance and skill of workers, inspectors, managers, and scientists, men and machines create a perfect instrument. Here is a saga of human ingenuity, planning and coordination, the glory of industrial America. Here is the straight line. Seven seven thirty-five. Engine block and valve seat. Number seven seven thirty-eight. Crankshaft and connecting rod. Number seven seven forty. Fenders and hood. Number seven seven forty-three. Rear spring. Number seven seven forty-five. Rear axle and differential. Number seven seven forty-eight. Shock absorbers and gas tank. Number seven seven fifty. Front axle and spring. Number seven seven fifty-four. Drive shaft and transmission. Number seven seven fifty-seven. Engine block and insulation. Number seven seven sixty. Crankshaft and valve seat. Number 7764. Piston and connecting rods. Number 7766. Spray paint and drying oven. Number 7780. Brake tubing. Number 7783. Wheels and tires. Number 7785. Steering gear and radiator. Number 7788. Doors and braces. Number 7790. Side and top weld. Study Department, Watson in sales speaking. We're 4,500 units off this week. Right. Production, Jenkins in time study. We're 4,500 units off. I'm sending the breakdown over. Hello, Casey. Production. We're cutting down to three days a week.
number 7790, application for relief, name, Jack Layton, age, 43, height, 6 feet 1, weight, 185, place of birth, Louisa, Kentucky, father, dead, mother, dead, married a single, single, served in U.S. Army, Navy, or Marine Corps, Sergeant, U.S. Army, Infantry, 386th Regiment, 77th Division. Present employment? None. Real estate? None. Ever insured? Yes. Any insurance now? None. Property other than household goods? Automobile. Any income from blind or old age pensions, lodges, labor unions, U.S. government, or any other source? None. Cash securities, stocks and bonds, mortgages, certificates? Cash, $35. No other securities, etc. 7790, first paper passed. 7790, first application for relief passed. 7790, 7790, 7790, 7790, 7790 is headed west. 7790, west on Highway 40, west of Gary, west of Chicago Heights, and Aurora. 7790 is headed west. 7790 headed west. And a 36 sedan and 35 bucks in his pocket. Name, age. I remember when we went down to the courthouse. You'd see the pine stretching clear across to Virginia then. You could kick a pheasant out of a laurel bush. You could go hook a bass at the head of the riffles and work a corn patch all in one day. I remember when we went down to the courthouse. They had the old boys in the fight for marchers. And I remember how Judge Adams got red in the face and waved his arms. Going to France to save the women and children. They kept picking up Ben Davis and putting him on the steps. Boy, was he drunk. I remember the kids didn't go to school. They stood on the freight cars and waved their little flags when the train pulled out. Yeah, it was hot in Chillicothe. 7790 ready with a million men on wheels. The cotton pickers riding on Route 90. Out of New Orleans for Houston, through to San Antonio. North to Oklahoma and Arizona and the new cotton field. When we came home, we used to sit on the courthouse steps and watch for the new cars going through town. They said it was a war, but they cut down the trees while we were away and put up electric light poles on Main Street. They said times are different. The chemical plant killed the bass clear down past Black Ford, and you'd walk ten miles to find a clear stream. They put up Frank 75 on the courthouse square. We used to sit all day Sunday talking and looking at the new cars. 7790 riding on the highway of the unemployed. The fruit tramps riding on the desert road. Over from Jacksonville across the continent, clear to California. Up Route 99 for lemons and oranges, prunes and peaches. Up past Fresno and Washington and Oregon for apples. The man said that he'd give us all $100 in our railroad fare. Said they needed strong boys in the north. They gave us $10 a day in action. We bought silk shirts and got drunk every night. We stayed out all night and slept at the machines in the foreman used to throw wrenches at us. That was crazy then. You could spend all night at the amusement park and buy silk shirts. The body plant could get $20 if you worked hard. We were 27 then. 
I remember that tough inspector in Detroit. He cut me sitting down and he chased me clear out of the plant and he had my check waiting at the cage as I went by. 7790 riding west on 40, west of the flat corn belts of Indiana and Illinois. The pickers riding west on Route 80. For lettuce, peas, onions, and spinach. Up 87 to Denver and Sheridan. Along the side of the Rockies to Billings and Great Falls for sugar beet. I remember in 27 when the production department said we couldn't weld zinc. We got the gas tank well going in six weeks. They gave us a bonus then. I remember in 29 when we built up 15,000 units a day. And then they put us on short time and the married men only got four days a week. And then they put that 20-ton press in plant number 10 and got kids to stamp out tops and fenders. Pushing buttons and punching out body tops and fenders. 7790 heading west. West across the Mississippi. The Wheat Hand heading west on Route 10 out of Minneapolis. West across the northern tabletop to Fargo and Grand Forks, Valley City and Bismarck. Over the divide from Miles City to Missoula and Spokane. Name, age, and occupation. They'll sit around the union halls and the married men will get the first relief cards. They'll go to meetings and the old men will get the first short time. They'll talk politics and curse and wait for the food cards. But there's country in the West I've never seen. They said the youngsters get all the jobs, but the youngsters never carry duck boards out of breast or the mud up to your knees. They said the bums go west, but they're building dams in the desert. They're cutting down mountains. 7790 riding with a million men on wheels. Coffee and hamburger, 10 cents. We fix flats. Chicken dinners and tourists. Secondhand tires, free water. Idle rest, hot dogs and pop. Today's special, pork and beans, 15 cents. Do drop in. Coffee free to truck drivers. The Hollywood cabins, 50 cents a night. Tourist bar, light and water. Welcome to the city, rotary luncheon, 12 on Tuesdays. Secondhand tires, free water and air. We, we fix flats. Back there. 
Mm, sort of quiet. Mm. I never been eat, but I tell Mama the other day, man sit right here on this porch and just meet people from all over. Now, take the other day. I was sitting here and I looked down the road and, well, it was hot. Well, it was just hot yesterday. And I see a woman carrying a violin and a man carrying a baby coming down the road. Well, see, that doggone baby weren't more than about a year old. They come a-dragging in. Young people, they were. And asked them where they're from. And you know where? California. Well, see, as how they come so far, I asked them in to set a while. Well, see, was this fella played in the band, but he went broke. How far are you going, I said. East, he said. Uh, how far east, I said. Well, the girl finally says that she's got an aunt in Brooklyn. Claire, New York. They ain't seen her in ten years, but they figure she's around somewhere and put them up. Well, Mama, Mama gave them one of our 50-cent cabins and fed them up. We got them a ride with a fella going in Chicago. But I told Mama, I says, I'd sure like to see that aunt's face when they walk in with that baby. I Thanks said for the that... use of the crowbar, partner. Oh, that's all right. Uh, you got her, got her fixed already? Yeah. I think I'll just cool off a minute. Yeah, sit down, sit down. I like told this fella. The best shade in Kansas. Yeah, feels good to me. Mm. My goodness. L- look at that fellow oil. Mama, bring that water can out. Got a fellow on fire out here. Yeah, I thought it got hot in Alabama. But this Kansas... Now, it's really hot. Hey, brother, this is midwinter to what was in 36. Now, that's when it was hot. I was sitting right here on this porch when old man Jones, he's got two sections of land west over there, he comes running in to call the Abilene Fire Department. His wheat field just naturally blew up and caught fire so hot. It's a gospel truth. Spontaneous uh, combustion or something, they said. Uh, just give it to the man, Mama. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Hey, you better cool it off before you put that in, or you'll have spontaneous combustion. Well... Hiya. Yes, sir. What, what'd it be? Well, thank you for some drinking water if you got any around. And a can of tobacco. Well, just go right inside, brother, and Mom will take care of you. Yeah, thank uh, you. I'd like some of that water myself. Well, now, there's a bucket and a dipper on the porch. You can help yourself. Best water in Kansas, I always say. Thanks. Right. Got a sailor hitting on back there, don't it? Yeah. So there's no use to a man unless he's got a family. Fellow traveling alone wants to get somewhere. Hey, you heading east? I'm going west. I'm aiming for Iowa. Well, I'm heading east. So maybe I'll find some company. My old grandmother always said poor people ought to travel together. So I'm heading east. I'm from the east. I'll tell you about it. My partner and me, we set the first machinery in the biggest textile mill on the Cape. There's no two better mill mechanics than Massachusetts, we used to say. And when they shut the mills down, 31, we watched them sitting there with their broken windows, just like blind, gray old men and the fogs drifting in from the vineyard. And we sat there and watched them. And then we took summer people for boat rides and fished for bait and waited. We helped them tear out the machinery and we watched them take down the bricks. The mills is moving south, I said. But we're New England men. So we bought a trailer. We went over to the lakes. They'll need millmen in the new factories, we said. It was cold in Michigan. My partner had a dog. But we give him to a fellow and got a cat. A cat could find his own food. 
Well, they didn't need mechanics, they said. And we sold the trailer. My partner took his share and went home. Going on relief, he figured. But I'm heading south where the mills is. If it's cotton mills, they'll need machinists, I told him. Yep, there's work in the south. Brother, there's work in the south. There's work for eight million people. Planting cotton, chopping cotton, picking cotton, falling the sun in the hot fields. There's work in the new cotton mills. Work enough at eight dollars a week. The length of choking you and the kids and the store man leaving you behind every Saturday. My granddaddy came over from Carolina before my daddy was born. Cleared himself a place in the pine. His people raised cotton for then. In 17, we had 150 acres in the clear. And cotton went from 50 cents to 6 cents in a week. The bank busted. We held on, but we had to go shares in 30. We never been ahead since. Sometimes it seemed like the very fields are tired. Now they're talking about chopping cotton with machines. They, they say they're going to sell them used and plant it and pick it and chop it and run it right over the mills on machines. Well, when my women folks went to the mills, I said, I'm going north. Why, I read where a fella died up there and left $9 billion. I said, I'm going north where the mills pay you enough for radios and movies. I said, I'm going up where the money is. They said they're jumping off bridges in Akron. They said they're mumbling the bread lines. But the machine and the men are there. I remember when they told us we'd got to cut up 40 ships. They said it'd take two years to scrap 40 ships. Remember how the Swede rigged up a disc saw and we cut them down two in a week? Well, the machines are still there. I'm heading west where they're moving mountains. It took me with it when I was six years old. My father moved me from Missouri. They said my lungs was bad. That the river was bad for my lungs. You could see the tan grass waving for 50 miles out there then. Nights I used to cry when the rock island whistled across the plains and the coyotes answered. I used to cry and once I tried to run away. Then they gave me a pony and a heifer of my own. And I never wanted to go back to Missouri. When I was 21, my father gave me a section of land. My brother and I ran three sections in the 17. Then the war. And they plowed up the ranch. Told my father it was patriotic, so they plowed it all while we were away. They brought the tractors and the combines. Fellows used to come clear from Chicago. Plant a crop, go away. Suitcase farmers, we call them. They used to plow a thousand acres a week before the dust came. We stuck it six years. We sat six years and watched the dust. We watched the dust drift over the windows. Took all fall to push the dust off the field so you could raise another crop of dust the next spring. So we hit the highway in 36. I'll tell you about the West. There's work cutting grapes for a center tray. Money for gas enough to get you to the next camp. There's work picking cotton at ten cents an hour. Living in a migratory camp. Eating beans and meat the butcher throws away. And there's a night in camp. The 
the children crying and the woman staring at you. Well, a man can't stand it. I said I'd drown mine before I'd raise kids that way. So I'm headed for Iowa. My wife's following the crops with my brother, but I'm leaving the kids with Ken and I away so they'll know what our home's like. Maybe I'll go back. They had to let the dynamiters down the side of the canyon on ropes at Boulder Dam. They blew up a mountain and made a lake in a desert and built the highest dam in the world. But you can't eat dams. They're changing the course of the second biggest river in the country at Grand Coulee. Yeah, but they can't figure out how to feed 11 millions of us. They hit quicksand up there. So they sucked brine pipes in and froze her and then dug it out. But the big boys have the machines. There's nothing but relief for the little men. There's men and machines in this room. There'll be water enough for thousands of farms up there. Yeah, but the big boys have the money. There's room enough for 30 million people. Why, man, they're building the biggest piece of machinery in the world. But what'll you do when they finish? They can build plenty more. They can make the desert green. Maybe they'll build a green city. Maybe they'll start east and build it all over again. Maybe there'll be farms for the little men. They can move mountains, and they can shove rivers around. There's men and machines, and there's sun and land and room for a man to turn around in. And there's a man-sized job to be done. just heard the Columbia Workshop's presentation of Ecce Homo, an industrial symphony written and directed by Pierre Lorentz, whose motion pictures, The Plow That Broke the Plains and The River, have stimulated millions of American citizens to a deeper understanding of their nation's problems. Bernard Herman conducted the orchestra, and William N. Robeson, director of the workshop, supervised the production. contemporary problem of men and the machine. Would you please give us your honest comment, your suggestions, your criticism? Merely address the Columbia Workshop, care of the Columbia Network, New York City. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
From Hollywood, California, the Lux Radio Theater presents Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young in A Man's Castle. Lux presents Hollywood. A Man's Castle, a drama of two people who have nothing but themselves, yet find love and beauty and hope in a world that's all but passed them by. Starred, as they were in the original cast, are Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young with Arthur Hole. Tonight's special guest is Father Edward J. Flanagan, founder and director of the home made world famous by Spencer Tracy's recent picture, Boys Town. Louis Silvers conducts our music. If you were a screen star with a million-dollar complexion, what soap would you use? As fine as money you could buy, of course. So we think it's a pretty wonderful compliment to Lux Toilet Soap that nine out of ten famous screen stars use it. Lux Toilet Soap has active lather that removes thoroughly the dust, dirt, and stale cosmetics that might otherwise remain to choke the pores. It's when pores are choked in this way that unattractive cosmetic skin develops with its dullness, tiny blemishes, and enlarged pores. Use cosmetics all you like, but be sure to use Lux Toilet Soap regularly before you renew makeup, always before you go to bed at night. You'll find Lux Toilet Soap does a thorough job. Begin using it tonight. And now, the producer of the Lux Radio Theater. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Before they were big enough to see over a windowsill, both Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young were established actors. Loretta made her first movie at the age of four, and Spencer Tracy, overlooking his two Academy Awards, still contends that his best performances were delivered as a boy when he gave remarkably successful impressions of getting out of bed for school. He'd respond to his mother's call with a great clatter and dropping of shoes on the floor, then promptly back, bounce back to bed. Spence hails from Milwaukee, where he had three special friends. One was called Mousy, another was Ratty, and the third was, and still is, Pat O'Brien. Years later, he and Pat shared a boarding house room in New York where Spence learned dramatics and how to live on pretzels and rice. His previous education had been acquired during enlistments in Ripon College and the United States Navy. First to employ him on Broadway was the Theater Guild. They decided he was worth $15 a week to act in RUR. He played a robot. Spence today has millions of fans, but none is more enthusiastic about him than he is about his favorite actors, George M. Cohen and the late Will Rogers. He lives in San Fernando Valley and has a tremendous liking for boats, horses, and black tea. His farm is also the address of his two sharpest critics, his young son and daughter, who admit he's all right in pictures, but much prefer Johnny Weismuller as Tarzan. Mr. Tracy, who appears through courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, is temporarily on the 20th Century Fox lot, making Stanley and Livingston. At the same studio, Loretta Young just completed the story of Alexander Graham Bell, another fine performance, we're told, by the girl who reached the heights of stardom through the unbeatable combination of natural talent and hard work. Loretta's the most famous of Hollywood's own four daughters, for the screen also claims her three delightful sisters, Sally Blaine, Polly Ann, and Eugenia Young with a personality as enchanting as her beauty. Miss Young, as well as Mr. Tracy, starred on the screen in A Man's Castle. And both are here resuming their celebrated roles. Loretta as Trina, 
and Spencer as Bill. Also from the film comes Arthur Hole playing Bragg. Now it's time for the play. The Lux Radio Theatre presents Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young in A Man's Castle. It's a midsummer evening in New York. On a bench in Central Park sits a young man, a sartorial sensation in evening clothes, complete with tails, Inverness cape, opera hat and cane. With grand nonchalance, this modern Beau Brummel is feeding the pigeons from a bag of popcorn which he holds in his lap. He flicks an occasional glance at the other end of the bench toward the girl who sits there, shabbily dressed but defiantly neat. The girl is acting very strangely. As she watches the pigeons eating, there's a desperate, almost hysterical look in her eyes. The man in evening clothes studies her for a moment and then speaks quietly. What's the matter? Come on, spill it. I've been watching you ever since you sat down here. You look like you were rehearsing something. What is it? Please. Please, I'm sorry. I... Come back here. What's the rush? Let me go or I'll... You're what? I'll get down on my hands and knees for some of that popcorn. Hey, what is this? I thought I knew all the panhandling routines. Or are you the little girl reporter working on a sob story? Oh, please. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you really hungry? I ain't eaten in two days. Two days? Why not? I haven't any money. Neither have the pigeons, but they eat. And regular. Yeah, it must be great to be a pigeon. It's always somebody throwing you crumbs. If you had the brains of a pigeon, you wouldn't be hungry. Come on, let's eat. Eat? Do you mean it? I said it, didn't I? Come on. But, uh, where are you taking me? Well, the uh, Ritz roof is open. The Ritz roof? Well, I didn't ask for anything like that. I... I can't go in there in these clothes anyway. I, oh, I... shut up. Clothes got nothing to do with eating. Let's go. Want anything else? Oh, no, thanks. This is plenty. Yeah. For a pint size like you, you certainly can put it away. You're hungry, all right. Uh-huh. Yeah, but if you think I fell for that line of hooey, you're crazy. Nobody ever has to starve in a town like this. Why not? Because you don't. There's food all over the joint. Well, yeah, but you got to get near to eat it. Were you ever out of work for a whole year? I've been out of work all my life. The unemployment problem never bothered me any. Well, it's all right for you. You're rich. You wear your tails and your top hat and you eat steaks a foot thick. <laughs> a foot thick. You've got what it takes. Sure, I got what it takes, all right. Hey, uh, waiter. Yes, sir? Call the manager. Anything wrong, sir? No, no, everything's swell. I just want to see him a minute. Yes, sir. You know, you should never ought to skip meals. Oh, that was the best food ever I ate. I feel better now. You look better, too. Yeah. <laughs> if you filled out a little, you'd get by in a crowd at that. Well, you can't help the way you're made. Why can't you? Good evening, sir. Hello. You the manager? Uh, yes, sir. Did you want to see me? Yeah, sit down. What? Well, yes, sir. Well, sir... You know, mister, there's supposed to be 12 million people in this country without work. Did you know that? Oh, yes, I... Yeah, and a lot of them are starving, so they tell me. Now, you take this young lady, for instance. Up to an hour ago, she hadn't eaten for two days, so I brought her in here and fixed her up. She feels swell now. Says it's the best food she ever ate. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> the only trouble is she ain't got a cent, and neither have I. What? Uh, what's that? Yeah, yeah, so the feed's on you, brother. Well, now, look here. Now, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways of handling a case like this. 
You could call a cop and have the pair of us thrown in the can. Now, just a minute. Can we? We sent to the island where we'd be fed by the state for 30 days at least. The more bums the state has to feed, the more taxes you people have to pay. Is this your idea of a Now, joke? wait a minute, wait a minute. This is one of the joints that throws out enough leftover grub in a week to feed a thousand people. So you can afford one on the house once in a while. Now, look here. Am I right, right or wrong? Now, I'll tell you what I'll do with you. I'll, I'll, I'll put it up to your own customers here. I'll ask them whether it's right for you to let somebody die of hunger right outside your own dump. If they say I'm wrong, I'll admit it. No, but look, you... Ladies and gentlemen. No, no, shut up. Go on, go on. Get out of here. Get out. Okay, okay. The case is dismissed. Come on there, uh, Hosits. There's nothing like a good walk after dinner. You shouldn't have done that. We might have been arrested. Don't be a dope. Where do you live? I might as well take you home. Well, that'd be all right if I had a home. What's the matter with you? Haven't you got anything? No. What do you figure on spending the night? I don't know. Have you got a grip? No. Well, get one somewhere. Then go to a hotel and register. Stay there till they hand you a bill and then tell them you're broke. And then what happens? Then they throw you out and you go to another hotel. Oh, I couldn't do that. Why not? Well, I'd be afraid to... Did, do you live in hotels that way? No, no. I got no use for hotels. Oh. Uh, what do you do for a living? I live. Yeah, I know, but I, I mean, you must do something. Those clothes. No. Oh, them? Uh-huh. Here. Look at the front of my shirt. What do you see? Why, the front of your shirt. Yeah. Now watch. Oh. Hmm, now what do you see? Oh, it lights up. Your old chest lights up. Yeah, sure, sure. You see what it says or can't you read either? Uh, Cavalier Barbershop, 16 chairs. Say, so you're an advertiser. Yeah, sure. Two bucks a night for this. Oh. All you got to do is walk up and down, flash the light on and off. Oh. Is, is this your regular job? No, no, I don't believe in regular jobs. I'm only doing this for a friend of mine. I sub for him on his night off. Oh. Uh, I suppose I'll have to get a place for to sleep tonight. What's your name? Trina. Trina? Uh-huh. I knew a cat once called Trina. What's yours? Bill. Bill. Oh, that's nice. Well, here we are, Hoosets. The river on one side, the railroad tracks on the other. Is this where you live? Yeah. Vagville on the Hudson. Built right smack on the city dump. How do you like it? Oh, it's swell. Gee, I've been in the city a whole year and never even knew there was such a place. That's one of the best things about it, the privacy. Uh, it's the only way to live. No rent, no taxes, running water, a whole river of it. The whole dump is lousy with southern exposure. <laughs> That's what I like best, them train whistles. To remind you of other places. You hear them all night. Don't you love the sound of it? Scary, kind of. Nah. Gangway, get out of my way. Here I come. That's what it says. Come on. Which one of these shacks do you live in? I don't. Mostly I sleep in the open. When it rains, I take my choice. They're all my pals here, and I can bunk with any one of them. Oh, they must be swell people. The best. It's funny, when people got nothing, they act like human beings. We get along fine here. It's like one big happy family. Get away from me, I tell you. Don't bother me, or I'll smack you in the teeth. What's that? That's a guy named Bragg. He don't get along so well with his girlfriend. Now, go on. Oh, no, you don't. You stand right where you are. Did you hear what I said? Let go of our brain. You can't two-time me. I'll kill you first. Bragg! Bragg! What do you want? Why don't you let Flossie alone? Why don't you mind your own business? Let her alone or I'll come over there and help her clean up the place with you. Ah, shut up. What? 
Nelson. That's better. I was going to ask Flossie to put you up for the night, but maybe that's not so hot. Well, I, I could sleep in the open, I guess. No, that takes training. I got it. Bare left. Here we are. Hello, Ira. What's the good word? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the good word. That looks like that Gideon Bible I swiped out of a hotel last week. Oh, Bibles can't be stolen. The good word is free. I only wish I could get you to read it, William. I did. I skimmed through it one night. There's some very good reading in it. There's one place especially, the Songs of Solomon. It's great stuff. Who's it's meet, Ira? Ira here used to be a minister, but now he's a night watchman. Oh, not used to, Bill. I am a minister. If I choose to live down here, I have a reason. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Anyway, this is Hoosets. How do you do? Oh, nicely, thank you. Yeah, nicely. Only she ain't got a place to sleep. I thought maybe after you checked out, she could camp here for the night. Welcome. When do you go to work? 11.30. Okay, she'll check in about 12. I oh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Nuts. Come on. Where are we going now? What do you care? You want to see where I sleep? Yeah, where? You see that barge over there? Right over there? Uh-huh. The reason I like to sleep on that barge is because there's no roof on it. Oh. Gee, it must be wonderful with the water rocking it. Like a cradle, sort of, huh? Look at, look at them ships out there with those sails. They look so kind of peaceful and contented like that. They've been laying there for years, rotting away with barnacles. That's what you get when you're anchored. Well, still in all, it's restful. Restful, yeah. So is a graveyard. Bill. What? You're a funny guy. Yeah. Why? Oh, I don't know. Well, what do you do when you're not walking around with your chest lit up? <laughs> oh, I do a lot of things. Or maybe nothing at all. Sometimes I walk the stilts. Stilts? Yeah, up on Broadway. Oh, I know what you mean. Way up in the air on those long wooden legs with a sign on your back. That's right. Is it fun? I wouldn't do it if it wasn't. I like being up there looking over the heads of the crowds. Hey, you're a pretty nosy name, ain't you? I don't mean to be. Forget it. Bill. Bill, I want to thank you. You've been swell to me. I got your free feed, if that's what you mean. I guess you need somebody to look after you. Maybe. And, well, maybe you need somebody to look after you, too, Bill. Me? Oh, I don't mean like that, but... Well, who cooks for you and cleans your certs and things like that? Nobody. I do it myself. But wouldn't it be better if you had somebody? Now, listen, Hoses. Don't be getting any funny ideas. Oh, I'm not. I don't like to be tied down, see? I live alone because that's the way I like to live. I sleep in the open because that's how I like to sleep. And I say what I want and I do what I want, and that's the way I'm going to do things always, see? Oh, but I wouldn't tie you down, Bill. Why, how could I? Yeah, sure. How could you? I'm like the wind, and you can't grab air, can you? Or can you? Through our Lord who liveth and reigneth within, and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Those whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Of course, this isn't a church, but I am a minister, and the words are the same. In the eyes of God, you're now man and wife. Man and wife. Bill, did you hear? Yeah, I heard. Those whom God hath joined. Handcuffed, you mean? Oh, 
Bill. You said you wanted to. Yeah, sure. I got weak. But I told you what it means, right next to nothing. I know, Bill. It's it's just the idea. I know. Oh, Trina. Oh, hello, Flossie. Where'd you get all that energy from? Every time I see you, you're working. Oh, I was out of work for a whole year. Making up for lost time, I guess. This kind of work's not real work. It's fun. You're the only woman I ever knew who had seven wash days a week. <laughs> well, Bill's particular, he is. Anything that goes next to his skin's got to be clean. You know, Flossie, I guess he's the cleanest man in the whole world. One of these days, maybe Bill will buy me a washing machine. That ain't so important just yet. The main thing, Flossie, is a stove. Bill's going to get me a real stove. For a joint like this? Huh? What's the matter with the one you got? Oh, I can only make stew on it. I could cook Bill some wonderful things if I had a real stove. And he's going to get me one, too, as soon as he gets the money. Who ever heard of a bindle stick getting money? What's a bindle stick? A hobo. Can't stay put, except maybe in jail. I'm certain. Uh, Bill can make all the money he wants if he wants to. He's got personality, Bill has. He's different. If he was different, would he keep you here in a dump like this? Well, what's the matter with you, Flossie? How can you say a thing like this? This ain't a dump. Not to me, it ain't. It's sort of a... Oh, I can't find the word for it. You know them things they got in the middle of the streets where people can stand till the traffic's safe? Uh, what do you call them? Safety zones? Safety zone. That's it. That's how I feel about this place. Like a sort of a clearing in the forest. Quiet and safe and peaceful. That's the only thing I don't like. Them train whistles. <laughs> I guess I know why you don't like them. Getting scared, ain't you? Always wondering if that man of yours will be on one of them trains someday. No. Uh-uh. Bill's good to me. He gives me everything I want. Yeah, except maybe a stove. There, you see, Bill? Look at that one over there in the back of the window. Queen of the kitchen. Stove to be proud of. Come on, get out of here. I ain't no window shopper. Oh, it's beautiful, ain't it? And cheap, too. Only $5. Huh? Well, that is $5 down and only $2 a month for only 12 months and no interest. Yeah, no interest is right as far as I'm concerned. I don't go for anything on any installment plan. In only a year that stove would be off. A year? You think I'm going to hang around this town a year? Oh, it's such a beautiful all-around kind of a stove. Forget it. Go on home. Ain't you coming to? Not yet. What's for supper tonight? Stew. Stew. Go on home. Bill. Bill, come down close to me. I want to whisper something. What? Just that. <laughs> Goodbye, Bill. Kissing me in the street. I ain't that cute. Queen of the kitchen. Five dollars down. Queen of the... Hey, Bragg! Bragg! Oh, Bill. What's doing? Nothing. I've been looking for you. How about that two bucks you owe me? What are you hounding me for? I've been working my head off trying to get dough to pay you off. Why I'm working right now. You don't look it. What kind of work? Serving a summons. You get two bucks to throw, but this one's so tough there's a bonus goes with it. Ten bucks for this one. Well, why don't you serve it and get the money? Why don't I? What do you suppose I've been trying to do for three days? It's for a dame and a show. You can't get to her. What do you mean you can't get to her? She's got a bodyguard. I'm the third guy that's tried this week. Hmm, ten bucks, huh? 
Hey, suppose I serve you summons for you. I could use five bucks. Will you split? I'm telling you, you can't do it. She's got a bunch of gorillas with her day and night. Will you split? Sure, but you can't get to her. I'll take care of that. I got a touch of gorilla in me myself. Is that you, Bill? Who else would it be? I'm just fixing dinner. It'll be ready in a minute, I think. Yeah. What's this book? That? Oh, oh, that's the Bible. Ira gave it to me. He wants me to read it. Yeah? There's one thing in here you don't want to miss. Gee, I wish I had some kind of a stove, Bill. Listen. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Get this. Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels. It's hard to cook with this kind of a fire. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet. You can't get an even heat. Thy neck is a tower of ivory. How fair and how pleasant thou art, O oh love. Thy neck is a tower of ivory. You know you're a heck of a looking woman for a guy like me. Yeah. I don't know if this is going to be a very good stew. Look at you. Skinny, no hips. Yeah, I bet I put those potatoes in too soon. A man like me ought to have a woman who's a woman. You're just bones. Yes, sir, that's just what I did. I put those potatoes in too That's soon. all you are, bones. Do you know that? Well, I'm young, kind of. That don't make no difference. Maybe it does. Maybe I'll sort of fill out after, huh? No, you'll never look like a woman. You ain't got it in you ever look like a woman. <laughs> what difference does it make as long as you're good to me? I ain't good. You don't get that idea in your head. That's the way to spoil them, being good to them. You got to step around if you're going to be with me or get your teeth knocked out. I think I ought to knock them on anyway. Come here. Bill, what's the matter? What's happened to your face? You're all cut. Never mind my face. Here. Look at this. What is it? It's a receipt. That's what it is. Five good hard-earned bucks for the queen of the kitchen. Bill, you bought the stove. My stove. Shut up. You got your stove. I feel like... I ought to... What, Bill? Come here. Little old hoosets. Oh, Bill. That's the first time you've ever kissed me like that. Bill, I love you. I love you so much. Cut it out now. You women get some phony ideas, all right. <laughs> Come on, I'll get to work. And if that stew's burned, I'll pour it down your back. <laughs> Down comes the curtain on the first act of A Man's Castle, starring Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young. In a few minutes, they will return for the second act of the play. Now, during our short intermission... Say, Bill, who's the girl in blue? Where? Well, by George, I didn't know she was here. Excuse me, old man. Well, of all... Say, Ned, who's that girl Bill's running after? See the one in blue? There. Oh, sure I see. Who wouldn't? The one in blues. Best-looking girl in the room. You want to meet her? You bet I want to meet her. Come on, let's get going. Who's the girl in blue? Well, whoever she is, she's popular. The kind of girl men want to meet. She's the kind of girl who's making the most of her looks. You can be sure she hasn't let unattractive cosmetic skin develop. The little blemishes and enlarged pores that broke from chip pores. Popular girls everywhere use Lux Toilet Soap to be sure of thorough cleansing. 
The active lather of this gentle white soap carries away from the pores every trace of stale cosmetics, dust, and dirt. It's foolish to run risks when it's so easy to give your skin this care the screen stars use. Nine out of ten of them use Lux Toilet Soap. It's the care your skin needs. So be wise. Use it regularly. Before you renew makeup, always before you go to bed. Nine out of ten screen stars use Lux Toilet Soap. Mr. DeMille. We continue with A Man's Castle, starring Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young. A warm September afternoon, a few weeks later. In the busy Times Square district, the passers-by gaze upward at a strange sight. A giant, 15 feet tall, who strolls calmly above them. His long wooden legs swinging easily. His trouser cuffs flapping in the breeze. Bill on stilts chooses his steps carefully. Away from the admiring crowd, they take him. Down a side street to a row of tenements. There he pauses and leaning on the windowsill of a room on the second floor, calls loudly. Hey, Mug. Mug, where are you? Hello, Stilts. Gee. How are you, kid? How's the bum leg? Oh, it's... it's all right. I can get around a little. <clears throat> Gee, Stilts, I thought you died or something. Where you been? Where are the Yanks playing this week? Chicago. All right. You wanted Lou Gehrig to autograph a baseball for you, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I had to put it up to him, didn't I? Did he? Did he? He sure did. Look, here's the ball. To my pal Joey, signed Lou Gehrig. Gee, Stilts. Gee. I had to go all the way to Chicago to see Lou. Gee, Stilts. Thanks. Did you hop a freight? Rode the rods all the way. Yeah, I ain't got the cinders out of my hair yet. Thanks. And Lou Gehrig wrote this himself? In person. Is that Stilts, Joey? Look, Ma, look. The baseball stilts promised me. With Lou Gehrig's autograph. He signed it himself. Stilts went all the way to Chicago to get it. I gotta show the kids. Hello, Stilts. Hiya. We missed you. Have you really been west? Yeah, west of 8th Avenue. That was just a stall for the kid. What about the ball and the signature? Ah, uh, that's forgery. I wrote it myself, but he won't know the difference, so it's okay. Hey, look, I'm glad you're home. I wanted to see you. Here. Here's a few bucks. Stilts, how can I go on taking money from you when I don't even know who you are? What difference does it make? I got no use for money. You need it. Just a case of supply and demand. Why won't you tell me your name? I never asked you yours, did I? No. I got no use for names. But I want to know. So I can thank you. Cut it. Now, if you pull any of that, I'll stay away from here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to stay away a while anyway. I begin to feel like a native around here. I'm blowing town. For good? Good or bad, I don't know. Who knows? Where are you going? That depends on which freight I hop. Well, you don't like me to thank you, but I... Ah, forget it. Only get this, I've been slipping you chicken feet, but I might get hot in a crap game one of these days and clean up, and when I do, I'll send you a heavy chunk of dough some fine morning. And you pack up and get out of here. Take that kid to the country. Maybe he can't hop freights, but anyway, you can see him go by, and that's better than nothing, isn't it? Well, so long. So long, Stills. God bless Hiya, Trina. Oh, hello. Where's Bill? <clears throat> Out somewhere. Where? I don't know. What? If I had a wife like you in my shack, I'd be home all the time. 
The trouble with Billy don't appreciate you. That's some man you got yourself, kid. He suits me. Yeah, but you suit him. You wouldn't think so from the way he's always playing you down, crabbing about how skinny you are. Well, I am skinny. No, you're not. Slim, but not skinny. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah? Sure. You're a good-looking kid. I've been watching you for a long time, ever since you come here. Well, you better not let Bill hear you say that. He's got a temper, Bill has. He's liable to break you in half, right smack in half. Oh, no, he wouldn't. Bill's too busy. Busy with what? All I know is there's a blonde in a show on Broadway that's been on his trail lately. A blonde in a show? Yeah, he made a killing that time he served a summons on that dame. He beat up two of her gorillas and she's kind of took a fancy to him. Some dames are like that. I guess he goes for her, too. How do you know? Because he told me. You're a liar. Bill's no cheat. If he wanted anybody else, he'd tell me first. Well, if he ever does, you'll know where I'm at. You? Ugh. I'd never even known Bill, and, and you were the last person in the world you couldn't get near me, so how do you like that? Swell. Gives me something to work for. Different men work different ways. Me, I got one principle. Take your time. You're worth it, Trina. You're swell. Get out of here, Bragg, and stay out. Sure. There's no hurry. No hurry at all. <laughs> Well, maybe we ought to get down to facts. What's the party for, Miss LaRue? To get acquainted. You showed up those two little Fauntleroys that were supposed to keep process servers away from me. I gave them the air. I'm, uh, I'm in the market for a new bodyguard. You don't need no bodyguard. You look like you can take care of yourself, all right. I always have. Yeah, well, I gotta beat it. What for? Stick around. I need a couple of laughs. Anyway, it's raining. There's no matinee today. And, um... Uh, you don't have to be afraid of me. Me? I ain't afraid of nobody. <laughs> That's the brave little boy. Listen, I figure may maybe I'm not going to be around when that suit against me comes up. I got a chance to go to London. London? Yeah. You might as well stay home. Italy. That's the place. Ever been to Italy? No, have you? No, but I'm going someday. There's a place, Italy. All I ever do over there is ride around on boats and play the guitars. I met a little Italian girl once. No, oh, well. <laughs> I suppose you know all about women. I know one thing about them, all of them. What? They're all female. Is that a compliment or a pan? It's a fact. Well, don't go. Say, how long does it take you to get acquainted? Me? I'm easy to meet and hard to forget. What? <laughs> What's the joke? Nothing. You're all right. I like you better all the time. You grow on me. Yeah? Yeah. Sit down. You know, um, maybe you're right about not going to London. Maybe Italy would be better. <laughs> what are you laughing at? You women get some phony ideas, all right. Some very phony ideas. Hi, Ira. Evening, William. What's going on down at the dock? There's a crowd down there. Oh, nothing very important. Bragg's making a speech to some of the tenants. Beefing again, huh? Why should certain guys have all the money there is? Well, I got a beef for him, too. Why? They're on the inside, that's all. They tell you to go out and get a job. What job? There ain't no such animal. 
Look at me. I'm skilled labor, one of the best toy packers in the business. What's a toy packer? Shipping, Bill, packing toys to ship. I'm one of the best men in the business. Used to work for Stark and Lee where Ira works. They let me out without any notice, not a day. You're getting drunk? Me? Say, I never got drunk on the job in my life. They claimed some stuff was missing. Just the same old alibi to let me out and save a couple of dollars expenses. Listen, Bragg, we know you. If they let you out, it was your own fault. All right, don't believe me. Walk out on me. You'll see someday. Well, looks like you've lost your audience, Bragg. You should never steal around supper time. Ah, that's it. If they had brains instead of stomachs, they wouldn't be what they are. I'm sick of them. I'm going to blow this dump soon as I get some dough. That'll be never. Is that so? Listen. That toy factory I was talking about, they fired me, didn't they? They owe me something, and I'm going to collect. Get this, Bill. They got an old tin can they call a safe. Every Friday, they get ten grand for the payroll, and it stays in the safe till Saturday noon. It'd be a pushover, Bill, if you went in with me. Five grand apiece, Bill. What do you say? In the first place, what do I want with five grand? Number two, if I needed the money, I'd go out and make it. Number three, Trina tells me you've been hanging around the shack while I've been away, and she don't like it. I told her I'd speak to you about it. There's only one language you can understand, Bragg, and this is it. <clears throat> Good night, Bragg. What's the matter, Bill? It's only nine o'clock. Did I ask you? No. Well, shut up. <laughs> I'll let you have a couple in the ribs. Bill, stop it. <laughs> Did I hurt you? No. Not when you don't mean it. Suppose I slugged your heart. Ah, you wouldn't. Don't be so sure. <laughs> Bill. What? Do you like being with me? I ain't so nuts about it. You're pretty skinny. Yeah, but I, you're not tired of me yet, are you? I don't know. Maybe. Hey, listen. What's the idea of keeping that skylight closed? When I rented this dump, I put that in special. What do you keep it shut for? Well, I thought maybe it might rain or something. Suppose it does. Rain's good for you. It makes you grow. Yeah, that's the way to live. You can breathe now. Bill. Bill, why do you always keep looking up at the sky for? Because when you're dead, you get a hunk of earth. When you're alive, you want to hold on to your hunk of blue. That's all I got in the world. That's all anybody's got. A hunk of blue. Bill, I've been thinking. There couldn't be a heaven much better than this, could there? I mean, when it's quiet all around and we're close, like now. You know, I never noticed a kid, but your eyes are sky color, sort of. You've got a hunk of blue at each glimmer. Yeah, but that don't stop me from clouting you on the chin any minute. <laughs> You're all right. You're a swell kid. I like you plenty. Do you, Bill? Yeah, but don't get figuring on that too much. Because how much I like a woman ain't nothing to bet money on. Don't let yourself get in too deep, see? Bill, you, you mean that you're... No, no, not yet. Oh. But I'm apt to hand it to you any day. Uh, who can tell? Suppose I wake up some morning with a taste in my mouth like wet hen feathers. I'm just as apt to take a stroll for myself as not. But maybe that won't be right away. I mean, not tomorrow Quite so soon, huh? No, you can't tell. Nobody never knows how a guy's up to feel some morning. Bill, listen. You like babies, don't you? What's the difference if I like them or not? Well, it makes a difference, a big difference, if you didn't. Why? Because you're going to have one. 
Was? Oh, I've known her for a long time, several months. I I thought I'd be afraid to tell you. But now I ain't afraid of nothing. Say, listen. Oh, don't say anything, Bill, please, not till I finish. I want you to know something. It's your baby and it's mine, but you've got nothing to worry about. I didn't mean to tell you at all, but... Oh, it's just too grand and wonderful to keep to myself. You can't understand that, Bill. You're a man. <laughs> you needn't look like that, darling. I ain't afraid of you. I've changed a lot. Only a little while ago, I was all alone. And then you came along and there was the two of us. And pretty soon, there's going to be three of us. You can never leave me now, Bill. Never. Never. Even if you go away, I've got you now. No matter where you go or what you do, I've got you, Bill. I've got you. Wait a minute. Yes, Bill? Is this on the level? Yes, Bill? Let me out of here. Are you leaving me, Bill? What if I was? You'd have no kick. No, Bill. I... I just suppose I'd be lonely again like I was before I met you. But it wouldn't be the same exactly because I got something to look forward to now. Yeah, I'll say you have. I'll never be lonely when my son comes. How do you know it'll be a son? I prayed for a son. I thought you didn't believe in that sort well, of sure stuff. Sure I do. Well, you told me you didn't. I lied. I didn't want you to get sore at me. But I guess you're angry now, aren't you? Why should I be? It's your funeral. Sure, sure. It's my funeral. I'm going to stand on my own feet now. I'm going to bring my son into the world, and I'm going to take care of him and love him always. And as far as I'm concerned... Oh, you too, Bill, always. That goes without saying. You're a free man, Bill. As free as a bird. Remember that. I will. Frank. Frank, come on out. Open up. What do you want from me? I want to scram out of here right away tonight. Only it so happens I can't go unless I leave some money behind. Enough to take care of somebody, a couple of people, for a long time. I got to have plenty of money, see? I haven't got a dime, Bill. Not a dime. No, but you know where to get it. Oh, you mean the toy factory? Yeah, come on, spill it. It's a cinch, Bill, a cinch. How about Ira? He's the watchman down here. Ira, that's the easiest part of it. All the guy does down there is snooze. We could walk away with the building and he wouldn't know it. All we need is a couple of drills and some gunpowder and boom. Yeah? What's the best time? About one in the morning. All right. I got something to attend to first down around Broadway, and I'll meet you. Half past 12 at 39th and 8th. I'll meet you, Bill. I'll have all the stuff ready. Yeah, we'll be on time. And keep your mouth shut. <laughs> we pause for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young have just concluded the second act of A Man's Castle with Arthur Hole. They'll be heard in Act Three after our short intermission. Now, just before Mr. DeMille brings on our special guest, a word to all our women listeners. Lovely women everywhere use Lux toilet soap because they know beautiful skin makes any woman charming. You want to keep your complexion lovely to look at and thrilling to touch? Then don't risk unattractive cosmetic skin. Dullness, little blemishes, enlarged pores. 
So many women actually spoil their looks because they carelessly let the pores become choked with dust, dirt, and stale cosmetics. Use cosmetics all you like, but use Lux Toilet Soap regularly, as nine out of ten screen stars do. It has active lather that removes stale rouge and powder thoroughly. That's why Lux Toilet Soap really works. Your host, Mr. DeMille. And now, during our intermission, before we go on with Act Three of A Man's Castle, we bring you the distinguished guest of the evening. In our play, Bill, Bragg, Trina, and the others are people at loose ends, irresponsible people, to whom the world has denied a fair chance. Our guest, on the other hand, is a man who gives a fair chance to boys who otherwise wouldn't have it. Gives them the most important things in life, food, shelter, and ideals. Once again, we, we extend our stage far eastward and bring you the guide and founder of Omaha's famous boys' town, Father Edward J. Flanagan. Thank you, Mr. DeMille. I agree with you that the people in your play have hardly had a fair chance. Still, I don't believe that Bill, so perfectly portrayed by my friend Spencer Tracy, would ever have been so tempted if he had been given the right start. As you know, I've always maintained that there is no such thing as a bad boy. A boy may be misunderstood, neglected, or misguided, but not really bad. To prove this, our records show that not one of the hundreds of boys who have been citizens of Boys Town during the last 20 years has become criminally involved since he left our community. We believe that a boy, if properly guided during the early years of his life, if given responsibility, self-confidence, and a sense of what's right and wrong, will not find it difficult to cast aside temptation and become a good, honest citizen. As training for just this, our boys govern themselves as much as possible, electing their own mayor, who governs them with a committee of six. These serve also as a court of justice, and lawbreakers are hailed before it. The worst punishment meted out is to have the culprit stand with his back to the screen during the Saturday night movies. I have tried to persuade the boys that this is too severe, but they uh, voted to keep the rules as it stands. Our resident citizens now number over 200 boys of every race, creed, and color. The only two qualifications for citizenship in Boys Town are that a boy be homeless and that there's room for him. No boy ever leaves Boys Town except to better himself. Our spirit extends far beyond our grounds, and there's scarcely a city in the United States that I visit, but someone comes up, says, Hello, do you remember me? I'm Johnny Jones from Boys Town. Our boys are given an education to fit them to meet life, and they make good. It's a deep satisfaction to me to receive letters from young men who have not forgotten us, young men writing on the stationery of well-established firms, like the lawyer who worked his way through a state university and is now the youngest practicing lawyer in his state. It proves to me, as nothing else ever has, that there's something more thrilling than boy meets girl. It's boy finds himself. If you're interested in these success stories, as I am, you may be glad to know that I'll soon have a radio program based on Boys Town histories, and I hope you'll let me know if they interest you. I'm sure many of you saw the MGM picture called Boys Town with tonight's star Spencer Tracy playing the part of our Father Flanagan. It's a humbling experience to see yourself played by someone else. No one was more delighted than I when Spencer won the Academy Award for being me. I still lie awake nights wishing I were really as fine as he made me. And in case you don't know it, when Spencer received that little statue, he didn't take it home and put it proudly on the mantelpiece. He wrapped it all up securely, addressed it to Father Flanagan at Boys Town, Nebraska, and took it to the post office. If I'd won the award myself, I couldn't be more proud to look at it daily as I do. The boys are pleased as punch, and the little figure is a member in good standing at Boys Town. Thank you, Mr. DeMille, for the privilege of being a guest on the Lux Radio Theater. If I may, I'll tell you a secret. We listen to your program at Boys Town. I'll bet right now that the boys are hoping with me that Bill will be the right guy before the end. That's it. You have earned the nation's gratitude, Father Flanagan, 
for remembering boys whom the world forgot. In Hollywood again, we resume A Man's Castle, starring Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young. It's a few hours before the robbery planned by Bill and Bragg. Over on Broadway, the last act of a musical comedy is drawing to a close. Bill waits in the wing. At the finish of her number, Faye Rule runs from the stage into Bill's arms. Hello, Hard to Forget. i got to see you a minute. Come on over here. Worried hard to forget, but you shouldn't. We're closing the show next week. It looks like that trip to Italy is in the bag. How does that sound? Great, but I can't go. Can't go? Are you kidding? I told you my trademark, didn't I? Subject to change without notice. I know, but I've arranged everything. I'm sorry, but I can't go. What's happened? I let myself in for something on the installment plan. What is it? I'm in a jam. Oh, I guess I know what it is. It's a girl. You're a fortune teller. It is, isn't it? Search me. I won't know myself for a while. Oh. Oh, I see. Yeah, and I won't be around then to find out. Listen, don't be a sap. If you're taking it on the run, you might as well run to Italy. No, no, it's different now. I don't know why, but it is. So long, Faye. Good luck. Easy to meet, hard to forget. I tell you, Bill, I can open this safe with a nail file. You ain't got it open yet. Shh, not so loud. Hey, hey, look at this. What are you doing there? Look at this gadget here. What is it? Ain't that a hot one? Wait till I wind it up and see what it does. <clears throat> Say, what are we here for? To kick in this safe or play with toys? Come on. Just a second. I want to see how it works. Cut that out. Give me that. Keep your hands up. What's the matter with you? You want to wake up the old geezer? This wakes him up. What's going to happen when you blow that safe? I still think you ought to go back and tap him on the head like I told you. I'd feel a lot better if he was gagged and tied up. Nah. Ira wouldn't hurt a fly. Well, just the same, you go over and open that window there. What for? We're up three stories. There's a fire escape. Sure is a swell night out. Look, you can see the old river from here. And the camp, too. The moon sure looks slick on that water. Yeah, I think when I blow out of here, I'll hit the waves instead of the ties. Maybe on a freighter. Did you ever go downtown and get the smell of them ships that come in from China and them places? I wonder what Hoositz is doing. I'm going to take this toy home to her. She can give it to the kid. Will you can that and lend me a hand? We're going to get out of here. Bill, listen, will you? Shut up. What's the matter with you? You know, I don't like this job. What? I don't like it. Are you nuts? Maybe, but I got a funny idea. I always got along before without pulling this kind of a stunt. I got along swell. I don't want to change my luck. You mean you were walking out? Yeah, I'll see you around. Oh, no, you don't. Get back here. You ain't going to try to stop me, are you? No, but... Then shut up. If I feel Bill, like... listen. There's someone outside. It's Ira. Get out of the window. Who's there? Get out, quick. Stand around, shoot. Don't move. Do you hear? Sure. Hi, Ira. Bill. Yeah, Bill. Hey, for a guy that reads Bibles, you shoot pretty straight, don't you? Son of a gun, you might have killed me. Serve you right if I did. 
Somebody ought to teach you a lesson. Young squirt like you going around robbing places. Yeah, it's a low-down thing to do with that, ain't it? But if you had that money as bad as I do, you wouldn't be so particular. Who was that man with you? The one that got away? Him? I don't remember the name. I never met the guy before tonight. I see. All right, Bill. What's the matter, Pop? What are you looking so sour about? Are you disappointed in me? I'm not thinking of you. I'm thinking of your wife. My what? Your wife, Trina, who trusted herself into your hands, who looks up to you. My wife. Hmm. Never thought of Trina as a wife. She just... Well, she's just Trina. What's that? Somebody set off the burglar alarm. There'll be cops all over the place in a few minutes. Well, what's he standing there for? Go on, beat it. Hurry before they get here. Go on. Okay, Ira, thanks. Did you call me, Bragg? Yeah, come in quick. It's about that guy of yours. Bill? What? He got nabbed robbing the safe at the toy factory. They caught him with the goods. Oh, no, you're joking, Bragg. Bill wouldn't do a thing like that. Bill ain't a thief. That's just it, stepping out of his class. That's why he got caught. And he was shot, too, trying to get away. Shot? Wait a minute, honey. Don't get upset. He may go up the river for a spell, but I'm still around. I'll always be around, baby, to take care of you. Let me out of here. There's no hurry. I'll be here. Only with Bill and the jug, you're going to need a man around. Come on, kid. You might as well shake yourself out of it. Mooning around won't get you no place. He's gone, ain't he? I tell you, he's gone. You're a liar, Bragg. He ain't gone. Flossie. Bill just got home. I saw him go into the shack a minute ago. Bill. Bill. It was mighty decent of you, Bragg, to offer to take care of Trina. Didn't know you had it in you. Look, Flossie, nobody asked you to butt in. I'm getting sick of your two-timing, Bragg. Very sick. Ah, shut up. Go on, beat it. Bill, let me fix it. Here, hand me that bandage. It's all right, I'm telling you. Just graze me. Plot a little meat off. What's eating you? You think it was you got drilled instead of me? Oh, I wished it was me. Bill, why did you do it? Why? I couldn't check out leaving you high and dry, could I? Uh, that dough would have taken care of you fine, but I flopped. Well, I'm glad you did. I wouldn't have taken that money anyway. I'd have given it back. Yeah, how do you suppose you'd have got along? It takes money to have a kid, don't it? Oh, honestly. For a strong, husky man, you're awful afraid of a little thing that ain't even born yet. My goodness, if I'd known it was going to scare you that much, I never would have told you. Gosh, Bill, I'd, I'd just gone away myself, but... I didn't know you were such a coward, Doug. Coward? Sure. Afraid of a baby. <laughs> Why, it's the most natural thing in the world, you big fool. They're born all the time, and if, if they happen to be men kids, they just never grow up just keep reaching for the clouds all the time and listening to train whistles. Oh, Bill, you're such a silly. Robin is safe to get money when you always said you never had no use for money. It wasn't for me. For me, I know. But I don't need it. I don't need anything, not even you, Bill. It ain't as if you ever said you loved me. You, you never did. And I don't blame you. Don't you suppose I know I'm just a stick in the mud of a barnacle? That's what I am. I've held you back and messed up your plans, but I didn't mean to. Honestly, I didn't. You can go, sweetheart, and stay as long as you like. And maybe someday you'll come back, huh? Oh, not for good, I don't mean. Just just for a visit, sort of. You might get lonesome and 
and curious and want to know what your son looks like, maybe. Gosh, Bill, even birds can't fly all the time. They get tired and want to come home sometimes. They got nests, ain't they? Trina. Oh, Bill, please, I want you to feel right. I want you to be happy. I'll do anything, Bill, if you'll be happy. I'll give up anything, but please, Bill, be happy. Bill? Yeah, what? You better get out of here now. Cops are on their way. How do you know? I got inside information from a stool pigeon, Palamine. Your freight train's waiting. You better hop aboard. No, I'm sticking around. Take my word for it. If you hang around here, you're due for the stir. And I don't mean a weekend. The quicker you scram, the better. No, I ain't gonna leave Hoosets. Well, you dumb sap. Why not take her with you? Did you ever think of that? No. What about it, kid? You want to come? Wherever you go. You know what it means. Wherever you go, Bill. All right, get your things. What are you thinking of? Oh, I'll certainly miss it. It was such a beautiful stove. <laughs> ah, you can always get another one on the installment plan. A better one, too. But it'll never really be ours unless we stick in one place long enough to pay for it. And, and you don't want that. You want to be free, Bill. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that freedom business. I believe in it. It's great stuff. But, uh, well, maybe it ain't always a question to keep it on the move. There's another kind of freedom, too. Up here in your head and here in your chest where your heart is. Bill. And right now I got a very funny feeling, Trina. You know, even birds have got a home in instant. And I got a feeling we're going home. Home? Where is that, Bill? I don't know. Somewhere. Someplace that suits us. We gotta find it soon, too. You know, a freight carrier no place to bring up a kid. Oh, Bill. <laughs> little hoosets. Funny little hoosets. Leaving Bill and Trina on a train headed home, we sidetrack Spencer Tracy and Loretta Young for a few moments. And before I say anything else, I want to congratulate Spence on his magnificent achievement. Yes, the way he wins Academy Awards, he could be prosecuted for maintaining a monopoly. <laughs> oh, yes, I know, but I was referring to something else. You know, Spence has uh, conquered what to him are still greater heights. After five long years of terrific plugging, success at last is in sight. Time and time again, he's been right on the verge, and he never could do it. But now, finally... Hey, 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 hey. <clears throat> Take it easy. Maybe some member of the EGBTS is listening <laughs> in. The, the, the what? What's that? That is a very powerful organization, CB, which has dogged me for five years. EGBTS is the Everybody Goes But Tracy Society. <laughs> in brief, since 1934, I've been saying that next month I'm going to Europe for a vacation. But at last, it looks as if I'm really going. In April, I'll be on my way for London and Paris. Uh, April isn't here yet, Spence. You've made plans before, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be April Fool. <laughs> After all, the best laid plans of mice and leading men. Uh, if you're trying to discourage me, you might as well give up. 
I'm going in spite of the fact that few things ever come up to long-planned expectations. Of course, there are exceptions, like being on this program. First. And uh, the product that it stands for. Excuse me, Ben, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> Go right ahead, Loretta. He's used to waiting. Well, I was simply going to say that in all the years I've been using Lux soap, I've always found it delightful to use, and much more important is its wonderful help in keeping my complexion smooth and lovely. So, naturally, I never overlook a chance to put in a good word. Such a good friend. But getting back to your philosophy... No, 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 no. Let's talk about you now. And your third telephone pick, Alexander Graham Bell. I hear it rings the... Uh, what shall I say? Oh, uh, never mind. I follow you, and I'll, I'll know better when I get back from the preview tomorrow night in San Francisco Fair. But where did you get the idea that I had done two other telephone pictures? Well, I was thinking of private number in the call of the wild. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I didn't see either one of them. Take it. <laughs> and Mr. Tracy, let's just make believe that I've hung up on you, huh? Many thanks, Mr. Mill. Goodbye. Uh-huh. You've turned everybody's home tonight into a man's castle. Mr. DeMille has an important announcement for you about next Monday night's stars and play. You'll hear it in just a moment. Featured in tonight's play were Martha Wentworth as Flossie, Perry Ivins as Ira, Margaret Brayton as Fay LaRue, Paul Hilton as a small boy, Frank Nelson, and Lou Merrill as manager of restaurant, and Sybil Harris as a mother. A Man's Castle was adapted from the, from the motion picture of the same name, produced by Columbia Pictures Corporation. Spencer Tracy's next MGM film is Northwest Passage. Louis Silvers appeared through courtesy of 20th Century Fox Studio, where he's in charge of music for the story of Alexander Graham Bell. Be sure to listen to the new Lux Daytime radio program, The Life and Love of Dr. Susan, the story of a courageous woman in search of her destiny. You can hear it over most of these stations in the United States every afternoon, Monday through Friday, at 2.15 Eastern Time, 1.15 Central Time, 3.15 Mountain Time, and 2.15 Pacific Time. This new daytime program, The Life and Love of Dr. Susan, comes to you in addition to the Lux Radio Theater. Mr. DeMille. California and Alaska had their furious, fabulous gold rushes, and no less fantastic was the wild scramble for silver in Colorado. Out of this mad race for riches, a strange man emerged. Around his life, our play next Monday night is woven. His rise to power, his dreams and around the two women whose devotion to him was his last and greatest possession. Arousing on the screen, our play is called Silver Dollar and brings back an old friend to our stage, that splendid star Edward Arnold. He'll appear in the company of two widely requested favorites. Number one, and from the original cast, number two. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Edward Arnold and number one in Silver Dollar with number two. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Your announcer has been Melville Ruick. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Are you tired of your $50 to $100 per month cell phone bill? Well, come on over to Mint Mobile. I've been with Mint Mobile for years, and I get all the talk, text, and data I need for just $15 a month. You've seen their commercials on TV. Just go to their website, pick the best plan for you, 
and they will send you a SIM card. Insert it into your phone and start saving. You can even keep your same number. Mint Mobile, where you get talk, data, and text for just $15 a month. Get more information from krobcollection.com. And like me, you can get talk, text, and data for as little as $15 a month at Mint Mobile. I hope you are enjoying Audio Antiques, our Golden Age radio podcast. If you are, why not subscribe and tell your friends? For more information about our shows and sponsors, check out krobcollection.com. Our music is by H Beats. That's H Beats with a Z. I'm Ken Robinson. Thanks so much for listening.